This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Recently, the case of alleged rape victim Cheryl Zondi was under the spotlight. And the defense counsel in that case was accused of bra beating and badgering her on the witness stand. South Africans rallied in support of Cheryl Zondi, calling the cross-examination unfair, and some went as far as to say it was brutal and inhumane. However, not everyone views that cross-examination style as harsh, and some legal experts are reportedly saying that the cross-examination is an example of what we lawyers call, and I quote, robust questioning. Yeah, well, we'll discuss that with our guest in a few moments. Whatever the case may be, ultimately judges must hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and witnesses must be told... Yeah, the black-eyed peas don't lie. Talking of lies, uh, these days the only time politicians tell the truth is when they call each other a liar. Joining us today is criminal law specialist attorney Martin Hood, who knows all about lying witnesses. Welcome to you, Martin. Afternoon, and truthful I, witnesses, I guess, as well. Uh, all my witnesses are truthful. <laughs> <laughs> all your clients are innocent. How does an attorney sleep? First he lies on one side and then he lies on the other. <laughs> Something like that. Mart, our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Our Twitter handle at HertzLaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. And our partner today, Legal Talk South Africa with 200,000 very, very ardent uh, members. Marvelous to have them on board with us. Welcome to again, Martin. Um, I mean, you've done so many criminal cases. I've also done my fair share. We all know that uh, that that uh, the the lawyer most sought by someone who's in the KAK uh, is that sharp cross examiner. You want him on your side. He gets the opponent to squirm and buckle and concede. We love those kind of lawyers. We've seen them in the movies. We pay them top dollar for their services in court. Now. The question, Mart, is that the lawyer in the case of of that poor rape victim, Cheryl Zondi, has taken a great deal of flack in the way he cross-examined her. And he was accused, as I said earlier, of of really of badgering her. The question to you is, what are the legal bounds of cross-examination? And from reports that you may have read, did he overstep the mark? Wow. (laughs) Lots lots to say. Um, Yes, he definitely overstepped the mark. Um, And I'll explain why in a few moments um the sharpest cross-examiner doesn't need to be the most aggressive or the most vicious and i think that's something that we need to come back to as well mm. um 
we also need, I think, and rape is a very serious subject, and it comes with its own particular improving a rape. There are some very specific difficulties with the offense itself, and we must be aware of what those difficulties are. The first is that it almost invariably is going to necessitate the complainant giving evidence. And that often in itself is extremely traumatic because the complainant is exposed to this type of aggressive demeaning and I would say unconstitutional in certain respects cross-examination. So that's the first point. The second point is that um, there's no or little physical evidence other than testimony that can be used to prove rape. The only real other evidence would be semen samples if they can be Obtained, But again, in obtaining a semen sample, there's a certain amount of compromise that the complainant has to go through as well in having those samples taken. Mm. So it's a, there's a very particular set of very difficult circumstances applicable to any rape victim. And unfortunately, our law has been slow to develop in protecting victim, victims of rape um, and cross-examination and Unlimited cross-examination is one of the the biggest issues because a person's sexual history becomes um, the subject of minute examination and the sexual um, conduct uh, in the rape becomes um, an issue. And we must also bear in mind that um, because rape is such a direct personal offense, it's the word often of the complainant against the rapist. Yes. And unfortunately, we have precautionary rules that have to be applied when it comes to assessing evidence of a single witness Mm. in any criminal offense. Mm. So it's particularly difficult for a judicial officer to accept the the evidence of one witness over that of another witness because an accused will also be a witness if they give evidence. Mm. So… It's especially, especially when the accused says she consented, which is 99% of the excuses that are raised by… Yes. Rape accused, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and you know, it was all consensual. Yes. And she enjoyed it. And, and mm. terrible su- stuff. Such, like, such yeah. horrible, other such horrible That is why so many women are afraid to come, to, yeah, to come and, forward. And yeah. as I said, our law has been very slow to develop to accommodate the trauma that goes with rape. I mean, mm. it's, um, it's, it's, it's been categorized by some legal commentators as worse than murder because mm. the, the victim has to live with the rape. Yes. Um, yes. And that's not to demean anyone that's um, uh, know someone who had family members murdered. It's just a comment. Mm. Um, so, so rape in itself is a very particular type of crime that comes with very, very big difficulties in proving it. Mm. And then we have to bear in mind as well that um, rapers often, or rapists sometimes, term rape when it's not rape, mm. when there has been consent and then there's been consequences that have um, uh, not been to the to the liking of the complainant. Yes. So we do have false claims of rape, and of course we must bear in mind that um, to be accused of rape in itself uh, unjustifiably mm-hmm. can destroy a person's reputation. Mm-hmm. So again, one must bear that in mind. There's a complex yeah, set of circumstances yeah. mm-hmm. that contextualise the issue of rape, mm-hmm. um, and I want to stress again that um, we're not all equipped to deal with. Um, with, with a rape trial, um, the and I, I have no difficulties with the freedom of the media, but um, even the reporting of um, the cross-examination of uh, the attorney involved in the Zondi case 
must have caused some trauma to her and to her family as well to have mm. have the, the the questions publicized and uh, put into the public domain very 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 difficult environment to to maintain your uh, ability to give evidence in a in a in a believable way very very difficult have you seen some of the questions that were put to the complainant well the, the, there's, there's, there's one that sticks in my mind in particular which I find absolutely disgusting and I think first of all um, hats off to to Cheryl Zondi for doing this um, I'm not pronouncing on the guilt otherwise of anybody but um, the fact that she was prepared to go through the ordeal of giving evidence hats off to her. Mm. But the degree of penetration, the amount of penetration, uh, 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 to it ask, has no uh, real bearing on it, does it? Uh, what mm. woman in their, in, in their right frame of mind going through mm. a trauma like that is going to assess how deep someone's penetrating them? Mm. And we must remember. And, and to recall it as well. And if one looks yeah. at the definition of rape, it's penetration. It's not one inch or one centimeter. It's penetration. Yeah. That's rape. Yeah. So that question was unjustified in my view in the context of what the offense actually is. Do you know if the prosecutor objected to that? To the I question? think from, from the reports that I've seen, I think the judge objected very strongly. Yeah. And um, being a female judge, I think that she had a certain amount of understanding of how um, demeaning that that kind of that, ti- that is. type of questioning was yes um and uh, she stopped and she reprimanded uh, the attorney concerned mr dalberman is he an attorney or an advocate i he's been yeah. reported as an attorney i don't know if yeah. he's an attorney or an advocate um i've se- i saw him wearing an attorney's gown in court so mm. it may well be that he's an attorney but i don't know what's it uh, for our listeners what's the difference between an attorney's gown and an advocate's gown T- attorney's gown has well that's all going to be changed shortly as well mm. attorney um doesn't wear a bib in in a lower court um he has a gown that's got buttons in front and counsel generally doesn't mm. and at the back the uh, advocate's gown has what we call a begging pouch normally where you're yes. supposed to put your money yes, into it. Yes, absolutely, from the old days. Martin, there's something I want to talk to you about and we don't have a lot of time and it's such an interesting topic all this. There's some uh, guidelines that the Department of Justice has published for prosecutors in sexual offences cases and I'm sure they know about it and they have, they need carry these out Tell us about uh, some of the guidelines and especially those on objection, objecting to aggressive uh, cross-examination. So I think what we need to do first of all is we need to be aware that there's guidelines in respect of sexual offences and then there's guidelines in respect of children and sexual offences. Mm. Now, uh, for those of us who go into criminal courts, some of the courts that we see have got video conferencing equipment. And the theory is that um, a person does not need to physically confront their accuser. They can give evidence either in camera, which means it's not in public court. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to stress again that Cheryl Zondi elected not to uh, exercise her right to have it heard in camera. And again, hats off to her for her strength in in uh, doing things in public. The The complainant... Um, can give evidence by way of video link. They can be separated from their accuser. And in certain circumstances, there can even be an intermediary involved mm. um, where uh, it's necessary in terms of either interpretation or the giving of evidence in another way. And I, I want to also stress another difficulty that we have in, in our court system, and that is the use of interpreters. So in a rape trial, it may be that um, uh, a complainant wants to give 
uh, evidence in her own home language, which uh, the judicial officer may not be familiar with. Mm. And that necessitates the use of an interpreter, and that interpreter, interpreter more often than not is going to be male. And there's always the problem of um, circumstantial bias. So that male may interpret what the evidence of the complainant is giving in his context as opposed mm. to the complainant's context. Yes. So the, the many difficulties with the, the giving of evidence and these guidelines on attempt to try and, and deal with, with some of the inherent challenges. Mm. So you're supposed to have specially trained prosecutors, but again, um, in many courts throughout our country, uh, we have one, possibly two prosecutors, a regional and a district court prosecutor. They don't have time to be specialist prosecutors. Mm. But the, the, the guidelines, and unfortunately, being guidelines are not compulsory, mm. and often they're simply not the resources. Um, but the guidelines say you need specialist pro- prosecutors. There should be consultation with the victim. Now, that means that the prosecutor should actually consult with yes the, sit with the complainant as as a defense attorney would sit with his client and 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 yeah. due to the due to the over, overburdened nature yeah. of our he, criminal he justice have the system time. He, he, well I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a simple example and again this is a disincentive mm. for people to come forward and, and lay charges of rape you've got to have a private consultation room where a person feels comfortable mm. to talk about rape mm. You can't expect a person to sit down in a dingy office with people coming and going into that office. It might be a shared office yes. and talk about how you were raped. Mm. So the the right facilities to have consultations have to be there, let alone the consultations themselves. And they don't exist in many courts. Mm. Um, I mean, I've seen prosecutors going to court the first time they know what's going on is when they open the docket kind of thing. And they see the complainant statement. Uh, they may be new to the case. So, I, I, I don't want to put our criminal justice system on trial, but that is indeed the case. And in many, many instances, cases are lost because of a lack of preparation on the part of prosecutors mm. who simply don't have the time and yes. the resources. Mm. So, and, and that impacts directly. And, and we have to understand the trauma that goes with rape. So for a person to, to – for a complainant to go through a rape case, they have to overcome all of these hurdles before they actually get into court. And then undergo cross examination. Yeah, it's frightening. So absolutely. Yeah, and let's talk about the proceedings in court, uh, which, which is number ten of the guidelines. Have you got that, Mark? I've got it. Yeah. What, what is that? Well, first of all, um, I think we need to understand what cross examination is, because mm. this says that the prosecutor should act to prevent unnecessary and aggressive. Um, cross-examination. Mm. Now, our system of law is what's called an adversarial system. And adversarial means confrontational. So you test evidence by way of confronting it. So in reality, that means that the person that wants to cross-examine somebody can put questions in a strong, forceful, um, demanding way. Mm. And the the criminal justice system promotes this adversarial environment, unfortunately. Mm. So th- the result is that for particularly a rape victim who's already undergone trauma, who's very emotional, um, she's going to be, or he, because rape applies to male and female, um, they are going to be faced with an environment where uh, a defense attorney or advocate is going to stand up and 
make accusations against them to test their evidence. Now, the purpose of cross-examination is to test evidence. You don't necessarily test evidence by shouting at a witness. Yes. You, you ask questions. Yes. And you ask yes. questions to probe that evidence to test its truthfulness. Mm. And you also required in cross-examination to put a version of the defense to the witness to say, we will testify that you consented to, to sexual intercourse. Could you comment on yeah, that? Yeah, if you don't... Uh, then you can't raise it. You it's can't a very, raise it's, it. It's yeah. very problematic in a mm. criminal trial mm. if you don't put a version mm. because then you can't argue that the version of the, the witness mm. is dishonest or... You've got to give the complainant every opportunity of responding to it. They the, have to have yeah. the opportunity to respond to a version. Mm. Mm. But in going through... Um, in going through the cross-examination cross process where you want to put a version um, to a witness, a complainant, you are trying to discredit or make that version appear to be untrue. Mm. And you test it. Mm. And cross-examination is not a, a difficult concept. It's something that um, any parent often does with their child. Where's the biscuit gone? Why is the biscuit container empty? You were the only person in the kitchen. And so forth. Yeah. Um, so cross-examination. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. um, so cross-examination is not a. It's not a, a complex concept at all. It's it's simply asking questions to test whether the person has been telling the truth. I think a lot of aggressive boom-boom attorneys think that if they shout at the witness, it's going to help them. Well, in fact, it's counterproductive very often. It it often is, and. Um, Again, these prosecutorial um, or these guidelines for sexual offences cast an obligation on the prosecutor to stop it and yeah. also the, the judicial officer. Yeah. Um, fortunately, my, my experience is that um, whilst cross-examination might get a little bit aggressive, judicial officers tend to take a very robust approach to it. And if it does overstep whatever they believe is a, an appropriate boundary, then they stop the cross-examination and say, we think that you should ask questions in a less confrontational way or maybe you shouldn't ask a question like that. Let's talk a little, Martin, if, unless I'm interrupting no, you, no, about cross-examination of, of, of children. And uh, this is always a tough one. Um, how much reliance can be placed on the evidence of a child? And, yeah, that's the first question. Wow. Um, I've said that our legal system has been slow to develop in certain circumstances. Um, it has recognized... Um, that the giving of evidence by children needs a particular approach. Mm. Um, everything is great in theory, but again, in practice, it tends to it tends to um, it tends to fall down. Um, our courts recognise that children's evidence needs to be uh, regarded with appropriate caution, and mm. what that means is. A child, and particularly a young child, you can break it into different age categories, below 7, above 7, 7 to 14. Um, a child is, a, a particular young child is subject to very strong influences and is easily influenced. So the, the testimony of a young child is very, very, very difficult to obtain, first of all. And it's quite easy if you allow cross-examination of a child for that child to contradict themselves or to be um, intimidated into saying the wrong thing. Mm. Now, the difficulty we have is that our criminal justice system is based upon the fact that 
rather 10 guilty people go free than one innocent per- person is convicted, mm-hmm. which is why we have this concept of reasonable doubt. If there is reasonable doubt, then the mm-hmm. person must be acquitted because mm-hmm. they have to be um, proven guilty beyond reasonable doubt. And it's an accepted um, standard throughout most of the Western world. Mm-hmm. So when you have a young child, you if you allow a legal representative to cross-examine that young child directly, that child can easily be confused or intimidated. Mm-hmm. And there are certain processes that have been accepted to allow the giving of child's evidence, evidence through an intermediary, particular professional such as a psychologist, where the psychologist can act, and I use the word very loosely, as a translator. Mm-hmm. They can translate the question into the level of understanding that that child has. Yes, um, They can also... Um, assist the court with expert evidence. They can say to um, a magistrate, a judicial officer, this child has a certain level of understanding and their evidence supports that level of understanding or that child does not know what it's saying. It does not understand the question. Really. The question. Mm. So the use of intermediaries, but again, not every court has a psychologist on hand. Um, mm. State resources are very limited. Separation of the um, uh, the witness from the accused. I mean, often, unfortunately, there is a close relationship between the the child and the person that's the accused, mm. um, and that relationship can be abused. So we need to we need to keep the child and the accused separate, separate in a separate room, in a separate room with one way glass. I mean, do you know if there are these facilities for? For kids all over in the, no, in the townships in, in no, yeah. no 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 um, uh, the giving of the, the the use of video conferencing facilities mm. in regional courts um, it is becoming more frequent so you can mm. give the evidence by way of remote video link yes. but then I also want to make this point and um, again it's a question of balancing um, competing interests as a defense attorney and let's not talk about rape let's talk about any offense. As a defense attorney, you want to cross-examine a witness and you want to see the demeanor of the person. You want mm. to see how they respond to questions. You want to detect weaknesses. You want to detect shortcomings in their evidence. Mm. And having an intermediary involved, for example, does act – it impairs the, the – Well, it's always been like that with interpreters. It does impair the – It impairs cross, cross-examination. It does, yeah. So, no, Fortunately, today we have black judges that very often understand – the uh, the language that the Gary, I, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in court when a magistrate. It doesn't matter so much about color. A magistrate said, but that's not what the witness yes, said. Yes, I've also the witness been, said the following. Yes, I've also seen that. And yeah. and that's that's a positive, yeah. but at yeah. the same time, it highlights the shortcomings yeah. in our system. Yes, and those those shortcomings are myriad. And mm-hmm. again, going to cross examination, um, having cross examination by some sort of remote control or with with some sort of intervention between you and, and the subject matter mm. um, doesn't necessarily work very fairly in favor of the accused legal representative either. So it's a question of balancing mm. different interests, unfortunately. Um, and the uh, those resources simply are not on the ground. Martin, we don't have much time left. Anything exciting that you're involved in that you want to talk about or is it the run of the mill? <laughs> Well, we, we've spoken about the firearms environment a little bit uh, in a different show. In the previous show, show yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, at this stage, um, uh, I just want to uh, – being the end of the year, 
Mm. Um, we tend to have an upsurge, unfortunately, in family violence and family and domestic disputes. Mm. Um, and I'm already beginning to see it. Yeah, tragic. Um, it's mm. tragic, and I'd mm. like to prevail upon everybody, be reasonable, understand the circumstances. Mm. and Don't pull out your shotgun, whatever you get, do. Get yeah. some help before you engage in something that you may, uh, that you may regret. Yeah, for the rest of your life. We've been talking to Martin Hood. Um, mark your website for this podcast. mjhood.co.za. Yeah, join one of the nearly 5,000 people that interact with Martin, mainly on firearm issues, I think. Um, I, I get lots of, yeah, I get lots of queries. Uh, I always endeavor to answer on Facebook or via email. Yeah. Send me a question. If I can answer it, I will. If I can't, I'll refer you. I look forward to following this case in which uh, Cheryl Zondi is mm. the complainant and to see how it pans out. Uh, she was very brave, and we commend her for that. I wouldn't, uh, be, su- I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised um, if there's a conviction. I've no doubt that there's going to be an appeal because Mr. Dalberman has already made the point that he believes his cross-examination was limited. Mm. Um, if there is an appeal, I think that we can see some level of judicial pronouncement on the manner of the cross-examination. Yeah. Look forward to following that one. You'll be back, Martin Hood. Many thanks for this contribution. To you, our listener, thank you for listening. Until next week, cheers for now. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.